I'm Michael Bradley. These days I live in Okinawa, Japan, but back in 2006, I worked and lived in Derry City. In August of that year, nine people were arrested at the premises of a US company in Derry. On the day the story broke, I was working for the local BBC station, Radio Foil, presenting the main lunchtime news. BBC Radio Foil. The news at one with Michael Bradley. Protesters continue to occupy the dairy base of a defence company. We'll hear from inside the office taken over by anti-war protesters. The protesters caused hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of damage when they threw the company's computers out of the windows. They were put on trial for what happened, but it was a story that got very little coverage outside Northern Ireland. I'm coming back to Derry to find out how and why this small group of protesters went up against a global defence company. And I want to know more about the trial, which had major consequences for the city and beyond. Hello, can I have a day return to Derry, please? Okay, so that's 16 pounds. Thanks, there you are. And it's a 20 past eight on platform number three. That's great, thanks very much. Welcome aboard this Translink NI railway service to Derry, London Derry. Derry sits astride the River Foyle, close to Donegal. The city featured prominently in the Troubles. In 1972, it was the scene of Bloody Sunday when 14 people were shot dead by British troops during a peaceful protest. Since the Good Friday Agreement 20 years ago, its problems have been largely economic. Stubbornly high levels of unemployment challenge any notion of a so-called peace dividend. This train terminates here. Please ensure that you take all your personal belongings with you. Sun's just broken through the clouds. I have to say the city's looking well. When a US multinational set up in Derry in 1999, it was a good news story. The defence company Raytheon says that it plans to open a computer software centre in the Londonderry area, which could create as many as 400 jobs. Raytheon says its software centre will go ahead adding another blue-chip name to the list of recent investors. There was a mostly positive response to the news. We know that very many people locally have been working behind the scenes with the company. I'm so pleased that that seems to have worked. On the steps of Derry Guildhall, the great and the good gathered around, and John Hume was there, David Trimble was there. As far as they were concerned, this was the first down payment on the peace dividend. Mm. A Good Friday Agreement had been signed just the year before. For people like Ted Leith, an American working at the University of Ulster, Raytheon seemed to promise badly needed jobs for local graduates. We're very keen to see things develop among the different companies that were coming in because, you know, once you have different companies and they, uh, you know, expand, the students have much greater career prospects. Mission success is confirmed. Raytheon is one of the world's biggest arms manufacturers. Founded in 1922, nowadays it specialises in high-tech weapons with familiar names, like the Tomahawk, the Sidewinder and the Patriot missile system. The proven Block 4 weapon system with an advanced suite of sensor technologies make Raytheon's Tomahawk Block 4 a true multi-mission capable weapon of choice. Raytheon employs over 60,000 people worldwide, 
with annual revenues over $20 billion. The company set up at the Ulster Science and Technology Park just off the Buncrana Road, a mile and a half from the Donegal border. I'm on my way to meet members of the Derry Anti-War Coalition, the group which took on Raytheon. But first, I want to ask local people what they remember about the story. Are you, are you from Derry? Yeah. Do you remember Raytheon? What's Raytheon? Do you remember Raytheon? I think uh, McCann had a lot of problems with them, didn't they? Aye. Do you remember what kind of problems? Well, we fired computers out the windows and... Aye. Raytheon? Nope. Not a clue. I'm too young to remember 10 years ago. I'm still at school. So just heading along Foil Street here past the bus station. Heading towards Sandino's. Sandino's is something of a, an institution here in Derry. It's well known for its uh, live music and for serious conversation, usually of a political bent. So I guess it's no surprise really that it was here that the, the plan to break into Raytheon was hatched. Sandino's connection with protest in Derry has been celebrated in song. The next time I saw you, we were in Sandino's bar. You were given a speech about the futility of war. We had a dance, a stance. I'm meeting journalist, politician and author Eamon McCann, who's at the centre of this story. Hi, Eamon. How about you, man? Are you all right? Hello. Great. Great to see you. Hi, Michael. Hi, Colin. Hey, welcome nice back. Hi. How's things? Thanks. couple of coffees, please. Colin Bryce and Eamon O'Donnell are two of the other protesters who occupied Raytheon in the summer of 2006. I think this is where the Derry War Coalition had their meeting. Yeah, yeah. Anti-War Coalition. Anti-War Coalition. That's <laughs> a very important word. Yeah. The Derry Anti-War Coalition was formed in 1990. It follows a long tradition of peaceful protests in the city, going back to the civil rights movement of the 1960s. We've been meeting for years, do you know what I mean? been very, very active around opposing the Iraq war and Afghanistan war and all that, you know. We've been campaigning about Raytheon for years. To Eamon McCann, the role of Raytheon's dairy operation was clear from early on. Once it got up and running, the workers there sort of were in no way shy, sort of about uh, telling you that they are sort of uh, uh, designing parts of a missile guidance system. So we organised a number of protests. There were protests at the city council, there were protests uh, outside Raytheon, pickets, and so for over a couple of years. And it got nowhere, got nowhere at all. There was a whole series of letters and, and uh, exchanges with the council. That's Colin Bryce. The council at one stage went down and said they went and met, met the management of Raytheon and received assurances from them that they weren't involved in any military technology and therefore the council said that everything's OK now. But what, was, what was the actual catalyst that came up? Yeah, there was a bombing and... 2006 was the year of the July war in Lebanon. The Israeli army conducted airstrikes in retaliation for attacks by the militant group Hezbollah and the kidnapping of two Israeli soldiers. Villages in South Lebanon, including one called Kena, were largely destroyed by bombs, which were very likely made by the Raytheon company. The day or a couple of days before we had actually met in here, there were very dramatic photographs on television of the bombing of Kena. Kylie Morris from Channel 4 News sent this report from Kena in July 2006. It's come to this, a massacre of children. No one was pulled alive from the rubble. 
As many as 60 people had been hiding in the basement of this unfinished building for 16 days, most of them women and children. They'd moved from house to house trying to find shelter. But in the early hours of Sunday morning, a thousand-pound bomb found them. There was no warning. All we heard was the blast and the shaking of the earth. Eamon O'Donnell watched those reports and images from Cana. I saw the TV report and it, and it really struck me. Children's bodies getting carried and people are wailing the uncontrollable grief of what I perceive to be innocent people. And I thought to myself, well, it brought back a lot of emotions to me on a bloody Sunday in this city. You know, it was just like, what is happening here? These are innocent people. And I had made the connection with Raytheon. I thought, am I going to sit here when maybe I could do something about this? What would be the point of us meeting here as an anti-war group and, and discussing what we can do about it when just two miles from where we were meeting it was this company operating which supplied the weaponry to carry out this atrocity. The bombing of that village in South Lebanon led to a decision by the group to occupy Raytheon. We wanted to do something that, would, you know, that they wouldn't be able to ignore. You know, so we, we, we did discuss, you know, so now what we're going in there to do is direct their operation and the way to do that is the mainframe computer that's in there that we knew is linked to the ordering system for spare parts and all, you know, their global network and all that. Did you have someone who knew a bit about computers? Not really, no. No, you don't need to know about computers in order to throw them out the window. (laughs) The protesters had no doubt that there was a connection between the operation in Derry and the weapons being used in Lebanon. Supporters of Raytheon in Derry, like Ted Leith, took a different view. He didn't believe the company was doing military work. As far as I remember, they undertook to uh, work on strictly civil projects, not military projects. Former SDLP councillor Sean Gallagher had been mayor of Derry a few years before the occupation. The work they were doing in Derry at the time was on air traffic control systems. And during that year, I visited Raytheon's headquarters in uh, in America. And they had plans to at least double their workforce in Derry because they were absolutely delighted with the, the graduate level here from the universities and stuff. This was also the company's message to anyone who asked. Eamon McCann and Colin Bryce are taking me to visit the old Raytheon premises on the outskirts of Derry. Any chance you could bring us out to Raytheon? Do you know where Raytheon used to have their offices? Aye. Do you want to get in the back? Aye, I'll get in the back. So here we are at what were Raytheon's offices, very unremarkable looking three-storey building. See, most people, when they think of an arms company or an arms factory, they think of heavy machinery, barrels of tanks rolling off a production lane and so on. This was a silent place. You went in there sort of when it was at build production. You wouldn't have heard anything, just people at computers sort of designing uh, guidance systems. But every bit as lethal as somebody manufacturing you know, a bomb sort of with TNT in it. Colin Bryce takes me back to the morning of the occupation, August 9th, 2006, and their strategy for getting in. What we were thinking was people would be coming in and out of work, so the doors would be opening, do you know what I mean? And there'd be a chance of getting in. And that is what happened, you know, there was a bit of gathering, but maybe 25, 30 of us. There's a peaceful protest. 
Like the other protesters, Eamon O'Donnell, who had been so moved by the images of the bombing in Lebanon, was prepared for the day ahead. I knew there was going to be consequences for Maxon uh, that morning. I didn't care about the consequences. Someone who was working in the building came along with a fob, opened the front door, two sets of glass doors to, to, to get in. As soon as that happened, a couple of us who knew what, what to do is that hold the door open and a load of people piled into the gap between the two doors. And I was about three or four back and the minute the door opened, I just shot it. Didn't know who else coming behind me. Didn't really care. I was there. And I was probably motivated and propelled by what I would call righteous anger. The ten people inside the building had now crossed a major legal line. It had suddenly there we are on the stairs, so we just kept running. The tenth protester in the building that morning was Eamon McCann's partner, Goretti Horgan. As soon as we got in through the front door, I led the men up to the uh, office because I knew where it was. When we got inside, we looked around and we saw who was there. Um, first of all, I realised I was the only woman there um, because I guess there was a lot of pushing, so um, the, you know, it was mainly men who got in. Then Eamon and I realised that we were both there and uh, this uh, real implications because uh, we've got a quite a severely disabled daughter so we couldn't both go to prison and we knew that there was a good chance that we would go to prison. So we had a conversation that went kind of like, dear God, one of us has to leave, we can't both be arrested, it, you know, what would happen, Matty? You know, there'd be nobody to look after her. Eamon sort of said, well, it'd make more sense for you to go and I was going, but it'll look really bad if there's no, all men and there's no women. So we dithered for about two minutes and everybody else was shouting, whoever's going has to get out because we're building the barricades. So Eamon just said, no, I, yeah, you ought to go and I'll, I'll take the rap. About 20 others protested outside. I remember seeing the people, it was OK, because I wouldn't, I wouldn't have hurt the employees, you know. That's Eamon O'Donnell. This is a peaceful protest. We're not going to harm me. You can get out here. And there was one person, young young woman, working there, and she immediately got up, looked around, didn't say a word, walked out. So there we were, standing in the middle of the radio, and I thought, Christ almighty, you know, this is a high-tech, highly secret arms manufacturer. And we just walk in, sort of, and we start opening the drawer. It was ridiculous, utterly ridiculous. In the first half hour, an hour, um, we put signs up in the window saying Raytheon is now decommissioned. And so you were looking for the mainframe computer as mm. soon as you went in there? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and we set to work on that very, very quickly, like, you know what I mean, put that out of action. And uh, we just took fire extinguishers to it, pulled out all the cables that we could find on it, you know, just did whatever we could, threw water on it, you know, just to wreck it, you know, to make sure that it was out of action. I discovered that I still have my phone with me, so I, <laughs> I was sitting phoning people, phone Radio Foil, I did an interview with Radio Foil. I was presenting the lunchtime news programme on the day of the occupation, so I was the one having that conversation with Eamon. BBC Radio Foil. Anti-war protesters are continuing to occupy the dairy offices of the defence company Raytheon. They stormed the building this morning in protest at the war in Lebanon. There's a large police presence at the plant on the Branch Road and our reporter Larry Dini has been to the scene. The sound that you can now hear is... <laughs> ..protesters throwing computer equipment out of the window. Well, I'm joined now from inside the plant by one of the protesters. Eamon McCann, what do you hope to achieve by throwing computers out of windows? 
you're here to say, wake up people and look and see what's happening. There is a direct connection between the Raytheon company and what is happening in southern Lebanon. I'm simply can't avert our eyes from it. And when you look at your television tonight, and when you see the airstrikes that are leading to untold suffering, be aware that the uh, missiles being used uh, are made by a company which has got a branch here in Derry. There is a direct connection between... As the day went on, we sort of <laughs> occupied ourselves just... I remember lying down, just resting for a while. I remember playing the cards. And, you know, to be honest with you, I don't even play cards, but I was just sitting there going through the motions. It was just, we were just waiting. You know, we'd done the job. And we had to force them, to force us out. You just couldn't do this and then throw her out. The occupation went on for most of the day. The authorities took it terribly seriously indeed, at least. They came in and they shouted through the loud hearer from outside that professional negotiators were on their way from Belfast. They subsequently came by a fucking helicopter. Helicopter. Negotiators. We clearly thought that we were armed. We clearly thought that we were looking for a shootout or something. So this went on for a long time, you know, and finally they obviously lost their patience. Then the hostage negotiators all disappeared and all the softly, softly talk all stopped. Colin Bryce. I remember climbing up over all the tables and desks that we had barricading the doors and just seeing a corridor full of police and riot gear. You know what I mean? There must have been about 50 cops in riot gear. I just came back to it and just said, yeah, this is it, they're coming in, you know. Eamon O'Donnell says things changed very quickly. It was very dramatic. And the next thing we heard him cutting the hinges of the door, I think it was the hinges, and the sparks flying. Eamon McCann and the others were now surrounded. So the cops came in, and there were 50 of them. It was inside a single building, it's very big. They had shields in front of them, before in the semicircle, and began moving forward. Slowly, these 50 cops. Also, <laughs> we kept on playing cards. I respect shields, uh, batons and armed people in the background and all this. And then they shouted at us through the light here, from within the room, you know. <laughs> and then they all carted us away, one by one. Stand up. Stand up, the nine protesters were arrested after the occupation, ending up in custody in McGabry Jail near Belfast. Although nine were arrested, only six protesters would be put on trial. The others were dissident Republicans, men opposed to the Good Friday peace agreement. It bothered me that people who supported and had possibly engaged in violence at home had no qualms about blaming Israel for civilian deaths in Lebanon. It's been said, what right did they have to complain about innocent people losing their lives to bombs when the real IRA were behind the Oma bombing and other atrocities? I think if you look back in history, it is possible for people who have a perspective on Irish politics which leads them to support what Republicans call armed struggle. Now, whether or not I agree with that, which I don't, uh, nevertheless, I can see sort of there's an historical uh, basis for it. And down through the years, people who were associated sort of with uh, Republican violence have never been hesitant about uh, making statements about world affairs. If you were to ask 
uh, some of the people involved, they would say that they're anti-imperialists, and they would say that their support for armed struggle in Ireland is anti-imperialist, and that standing by sort of and protesting and trying to stop the operation of the Raytheon Company, that that's anti-imperialist as well. Therefore, there's no contradiction. Now, many people will not accept that uh, argument, but that was the argument offered. Because they were outside the jurisdiction, they were being held in the Irish Republic for other offences, the three dissidents were never charged in relation to the occupation, and the trial proceeded without them. Hello, Kevin. Michael Bradley, hi. I'm meeting solicitor Kevin Casey. He represented Eamon O'Donnell and Colin Bryce. There's an interesting uh, photograph you have in your wall. Yeah. It's a photograph of the defendants arriving at their first court appearance. And the slogan on the poster is, drop the charges against the Raytheon 9. Yeah. What did you feel were the prospects for your clients? For people who would have been held to be responsible for damaging close to a third of a million pounds worth of technology, they were looking at fairly lengthy custodial sentences, three, four-year jail terms. Putting jobs at risk would have been the other thing that would have been laid at their door, etc., etc. And uh, so the stakes became very, very high very quickly. Our expectation was, OK, we'll be held for a couple of hours charged and released on bail. But within about an hour or so, we realised that the charges the police were going at us with were charges under the Terrorism Act, which were like conspiracy charges and so on, which made it all, an awful lot more serious. I think there might have been a, a, a bit of example-making, just finally showing that there were certain things, as my poor old granny would have set up, with which they would not put from the point of view of the prosecuting authorities. They probably hit the mother load in terms of faces that they wanted to make an example of. I was prepared for going to jail, staying in jail. I didn't even think when I got bail, to be honest with you. Uh, my concerns was uh, uh, my family. And we all had one phone call from McGabry, and I remember I couldn't get through to my partner um, and just leaving a, a phone message, and that was really, really uh, difficult. And so similarly, it was difficult for all, all of us that were, that were in there, you know, and people who had kids and all that sort of stuff. The men weren't charged under terrorist legislation, but they were still in big trouble. I couldn't sleep at all that first night, you know, with the worry of it, and sat and wrote a letter to, to my partner and so on, explaining what we had done and all that sort of stuff, and apologising for the position that I put, put her in. Like the other family members of the arrested men, Eamon McCann's partner, Goretti, was worried. It was quite hard to realise that, uh, that that was a possibility, that he'd go to prison for two or three years. Um, it did actually look for a while as if they may spend their entire time until the trial in McGabry, and that was pretty bleak. Facing serious charges of criminal damage and affray, which carry long prison sentences, solicitor Kevin Casey says the protesters needed to clearly explain their motives. The process is that you're arrested, you're cautioned, then you get your chance and interview to give your version of events. Colm and Eamon made it very clear in the interview what their motivation was. They would argue that they were trying to save lives, not cause wanton destruction. Although the case wasn't well covered at the time, the protesters did have an all-star legal team. Joe Brawley is well known to RT viewers and listeners, but perhaps what's less well known is the fact that he's also a working barrister and who represented the Raytheon 9 at the first bail hearing back in 2006. I'm back in Belfast to meet him here in this coffee shop behind me. I mean, uh, all I did was juxtapose Raytheon against these 
peaceful protesters, you know, the sort of people that you might see working in a charity shop on a Saturday morning, you know, or going around giving out blankets and cups of tea to the homeless. I mean, I approached it like a war crimes trial, you know. I mean, I remember saying, you know, that in years to come, you know, if we ever reach a point of civilization that um, we'll look back on this in the same sort of shame that we look back on the slave trade. The protesters did get bail. There were many people in Derry who opposed the occupation. Former SDLP councillor Sean Gallagher believes the occupation reveals other motives. A Ford Motor Company uh, supplied the US Army with jeeps and trucks and stuff like that. So do we throw out every Ford franchise in the country because of that? Because that's what the protesters in Raytheon were saying. How many international companies can we name that were in this city? But Raytheon seemed to be particularly picked on for a certain reason. And the reason at the time was a political agenda that had nothing to do with Ireland. Absolutely nothing to do with Ireland. It took almost two years before the Raytheon case got a full hearing. In the years between the occupation and the trial, the promised job numbers in Raytheon never materialised. At the same time as their international sales and turnover were increasing, they seemed to be losing interest in Derry. The trial of the now six protesters... The three dissidents originally detained were not in court, began before a jury in Belfast on May 19th, 2008. Joe Brawley explains that the men's case would be that they were defending others from harm. The law is very tightly drawn in relation to criminal damage and when you can lawfully cause criminal damage. The law says that you can um, commit an offence like that um, if you're acting in lawful self-defence defence of another. Raytheon's position was, oh look, you know, this is all administrative what happens in Derry City, you know, we don't we don't do anything untoward there, you know. There's no other way you can excuse the use of violence or criminal damage. Solicitor Kevin Casey. Except in circumstances where you're doing it to defend yourself or to defend others. I give the parallels and when it's given evidence, I said we were like somebody who's walking up the street. They hear the sounds of people screaming inside. Someone has been badly beaten up. It says, you kick the door down and stop this beating up. That's breaking and entering. It's also assault. Could you be charged with those things? You said, no, I was trying to stop a greater crime than kicking a door down. That's an absolute defence, absolute defence in law. It became a philosophical, moral battle between the arms trade and people of conscience. But there was no guarantee that their legal arguments would even be allowed to be heard in court. At the very start of the trial, there was preliminary arguments about whether or not we would be able to raise the self-defence argument. Unusual for a judge. I think he said to him, all right, all right, try me. Try to, you know, sort of uh, run it past me and we'll see how it goes. Eamon McCann. We had to prove a number of things. One was that what Israel was, had been doing in southern Lebanon constituted a war crime. Do you remember how you established that? We used Amnesty International reports, Red Cross reports. We showed film from Newsa, for example, Fergal King. Joe Brawley says their best hope was by making the moral case for the occupation and the subsequent damage. Well, he allowed us to show a video to the jury of the carnage caused by some Raytheon missiles in the Middle East. You know, dead children, you know, dismembered bodies. The Raytheon company offered very little in defence of the protesters' argument. They sent John Riley from their UK headquarters. He gave a, an exhibition that Tony Blair would have been proud of. He just said absolutely nothing for a day. 
jury's perceptions of people and the optics in a courtroom can be very important. He thought he was just coming there to say this is all the terrible damage that these people did to all the, you know, the uh, things, this is how much it cost us and so on, and that that's all he'd have to do. That's Colin Bryce. But once he got on the stand, and after he'd done that for the prosecution, it was then over to our barristers, who then started questioning him about uh, Raytheon's role in the arms trade. This is a reconstruction of part of the cross-examination of John Riley by defence barrister Michael Topolsky. He asks Mr Riley about a different earlier incident allegedly involving Raytheon missiles in Iraq in 2003. You knew in 2003 that it was being suggested that a Raytheon missile killed innocent people. No. Has that allegation ever been made, to your knowledge, before? No. Would it worry you if it had? In and of itself, no. You wouldn't wake up in the middle of the night hoping that nothing you ever play a part in would kill innocent people. Does that worry you at all? I don't wake up in the middle of the night with those worries, Mr Topolsky. But it must have been in your contemplation that innocent civilians could be killed by the weaponry that your company produces. It must occur to you as an intelligent, sentient, civilised human being. I am aware of that possibility. Sorry? I am aware of that possibility. The way he answered those questions was just absolutely unbelievable. I, I think you can nearly feel the jury, you know, sort of sharp and take a breath. That certainly was a significant moment. At the risk of being unkind to Mr Rayleigh, he didn't come across uh, in a very favourable light in this particular trial. Eamon McCann and the other protesters needed to make another argument that the Derry office was central to Raytheon's global operation. You had to be able to show that what we did, the fact that in Springstown and Derry, did have or could reasonably have been expected to disrupt or delay sort of the production process for Raytheon uh, weaponry. Got a Raytheon employee in the, in, in the stand, somebody who was charged with getting the mainframe systems up and running and so on. Part of our line of questioning was how long was this shut down for? Did this dis disrupt the supply networks uh, in Raytheon? And he was forced to admit that, that, it, that it had done. Michael Topolsky referred to this witness when summing up for the defence. He described Raytheon as a multinational, providing Israel and America with weapons software. He was asked if his worst nightmare was that others would be killed by his products. Remember his reply? Of course, he readily agreed he would deplore it. The damage done to the computer? It was a kind of hub connecting globally, he agreed, to the rest of the global company. It was up and running the next day, but he agreed that needed a great team. He speaks firmly and clearly of a connection between Raytheon, the USA and Israel. That is what McCann believed. In their summing up, the prosecution maintained that the protesters were only looking for publicity and had no higher motives. We say every part of this protest was about raising publicity to have Raytheon evicted from Derry. They go into premises, cause damages, and then wait for over an hour and start throwing out office equipment from the window. Why throw them out the window? Why wait? Why, before doing that, does Mr. McCann feel the need to do a radio interview? We would say it was because this is all about publicity, not about saving lives in Lebanon. They say Raytheon made systems that were supplied to the Israeli Defense Forces. We have no issue with that. They also believe that some of the systems were made in this plant. You have heard from the witnesses that none of the systems they made were for the Lebanon, but the defense could very well have believed that. 
But we say we are dealing with the events of a war some 5,000 miles away. Did the accused honestly believe their actions are going to protect lives or property 5,000 miles away? We say they couldn't possibly believe that. The trial lasted over three weeks. With the argument made in court, it was now up to the jury in Belfast to decide on the men's fate. Waiting for the jury to come back was it was an agonising process, you know. My daughter was born in the, in the middle of all this. Uh, I was pretty sure we were going to get off. And anyway, you have to remember, that we had set out to do this. We had set out to be charged. We had set out to be in court. Finally, on June 11th, 2008, almost two years after the protesters had stormed the Raytheon offices in Derry, the court verdict was in. And it would have long-lasting implications for everyone involved. BBC Radio Ulster. Six Londonderry men accused of destroying property belonging to multinational defence company Raytheon have been acquitted. The six, including the author and journalist Eamon McCann, had been accused of causing criminal damage. Solicitor Kevin Casey was happy for his clients. It's still one of the most satisfying moments of my professional career because the stakes were so high. There wasn't a great deal of coverage about the trial, I felt. Is, it, is that something that you guys felt as well? Yeah, yeah well, we did feel that, that the trial was uh, virtually ignored. Because I remember working in Radio Foil as well, and I felt for sure that it should have got more coverage, but there was no one available, we were told, to cover a lot of the proceedings because there were two other major trials going on at the time. There was the Robert McCartney murder trial, if you remember, and there was the Oma Bomb civil case. Do you think maybe it was as much just poor timing as much as any kind of conspiracy? Despite the fact that we had shown to a jury in Belfast that smashing into an office of a multinational company and destroying their, their equipment, that that wasn't necessarily a crime, hardly noticed at all. Business went back to being normal for Raytheon, but the protests kept going. There was another occupation, this time by nine women protesters. They were also tried and also acquitted. What happened next was as much of a surprise to the Derry anti-war movement as it was to everyone else. They achieved their goal. In 2010, after more than 10 years in the city, the Raytheon company announced it was pulling out of Derry. I wanted to include the viewpoint of the company at the centre of this story, so I contacted them. Just punch it in on my phone here. Hello, sorry to bother you. My name's Michael Bradley. I'm making a radio documentary about Raytheon and the operation which they had in Derry. And I'm just wondering if Raytheon could provide someone who I could interview just to give your side of the story. So just to quote you said, it's just not the kind of piece that we would normally participate in. They sent me an email a few days later. It's one line long. It simply says, Raytheon is no longer operating in Northern Ireland, having, for commercial reasons, ceased its operations in Derry a number of years ago. That's it. So I guess that's the end of our correspondence with Raytheon. Raytheon have never publicly admitted it was because of the Derry Anti-War Coalition that they left. But I have one more person to meet. William Allen, a journalist with the Derry Journal, has found the proof that Raytheon did pull out of Derry because of the protests. 
It took a freedom of information request for William to get the documents. An Invest Northern Ireland document copied to the Enterprise Minister Arlene Foster said, unfortunately it would appear that the view of senior US management is that the legal system in Northern Ireland does not offer the degree of protection to their businesses that could be expected in other parts of the world. They were closing down in Derry and uh, seeking a location elsewhere where they wouldn't come under the pressure they came under here and with some legal protection that they felt was lacking here. It did surprise me that they left. Also, their statement when they left surprised me. The weakness of it when they said that they were going to have to pull out of Northern Ireland because the state couldn't guarantee their safety. Now, bloody arms come. (laughs) I mean, safety shouldn't be a big consideration. It was also very... uh, Snowflakey. By the time the company pulled out, Raytheon employed just seven people in the city, having initially promised up to 400 jobs. But former SDLP mayor of Derry, Sean Gallagher, maintains it had a long-term effect on the city. Well, you can imagine the message that sent round the world to international companies from uh, the about Derry, and what it did was, and I have no doubt about this, it stopped investment, and it came up on numerous occasions when council delegations were speaking to companies about investing in the northwest. There are times sort of when uh, there's a greater morality and that you have to ask yourself whether the economic interests of uh, Derry trump uh, the interests of people who have been pulverised, men, women and children. There's a choice to be made there. For Joe Brawley, the case was simple. It was moral warfare. Whose team are you on? The good guys against the bad guys. The Raytheon case played out largely unnoticed by the media. Having tracked down the court transcripts, I learned how a bunch of misfits from Derry had outmaneuvered a company with all the wealth and influence of Raytheon. But fascinating though the trial was, what really struck me was the character of the misfits themselves. Back in 2006, although broadly sympathetic to their cause, I was repelled by the destruction they wrought thinking it hypocritical for peace protesters to behave so violently. But now, I appreciate that this was no howl of rage. Their actions were carefully considered. They acted from only the highest moral principles. Eamon McCann maintained the Raytheon occupation is his proudest moment of protest. Well, when I look back and I look at the civil rights movement, I look at various wider campaigns I was involved in, and if anybody came along to me now and said, OK, you've been involved in political agitation for decades, what was the highlight of your political life? The highlight of my political life was throwing computers out the window of uh, the Raytheon office of, off the Springtown Road. While waiting to go on trial, some of the protesters went to visit the village of Cana in Lebanon, the bombing of which prompted their occupation of Raytheon. We went to the place where the bombing had actually happened. They were shown the graves of the victims. So she just pointed to the, to the gravestones and sort of said, that's my, that's my two daughters, that's my uncle, that's my brother, that's my aunt, that's my... Do you know what I mean? It was two extended families. I remember it was a terribly emotional experience for all of us. I remember all of us, you know, sort of just all having to turn away at different times when we were listening to it because we were all in tears, you know what I mean? Many people around the world were moved by the bombing of Cana. Singer Patti Smith wrote this protest song in memory of the victims. Village is empty Not a human or a stone 
we laid a stone, a memorial stone, by the graves there. The stone, which we used sort of some of the inscriptions sort of from the Bloody Sunday Museum, and some words from a Patti Smith song. I went, Derry Akina, the dead lie in strange shapes. No one who fights for justice is a stranger here. No one who dies for justice is forgotten here. Let it come down Let her weep Derry is doing better economically these days. Unemployment is down and it seems the city has moved on from Raytheon. And it seems Raytheon is doing well too. Just last month, the company announced that global uncertainty had increased demand for its laser-guided bombs and missiles. Sales are up to almost $26 billion in 2017. Uh, We're sitting in the back of this little rickety van, sort of rattling over an excuse for a road away from Kena. And uh, Kieran turned to me and, and he said, he says, fucking up Raytheon was the best thing I've ever done in my life. And I just said, me too. So it was. And the dead lane strange shapes. And the dead lane strange shapes. And the dead lane strange shapes. And the dead lane strange.